Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I'm David Rothkopf, your host, and I am here at an undisclosed location in uh, the New York metropolitan area. In the Washington, D.C. area, we have Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University. We have Ed Luce of the Financial Times. And in Ed's old stomping grounds in the U.K., <laughs> we have Corey Shockey, who is the Deputy <laughs> Director General of the IISS um, and adds a certain, I don't know, je ne sais quoi to everything that we do here, given her it's 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 known it's known as a i don't know what in england (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good yeah well i guess this is why the french language is sustained internationally ed it sounds so much better in french (laughs) it does (laughs) Uh, and i it's i seem to recall the whole norman conquest is that something you're suppressing ed uh, it's it's not. I'm, I'm I'm very proud of it. It civilized the, the English. Yeah. Well, that's that's a subject for a whole episode, suggesting that that even happened. Uh, um, but let's leave the sepoy uprising to another discussion. Um, Rosa, um, let me start with you, um, and I want to sort of turn back the clock a little bit and remember those. Halcyon days in December of the year 2016, before Donald Trump was president, when the big idea that was floated by Donald Trump, one of the ones that got a lot of attention, was that Rudy Giuliani would become the next Secretary of State of the United States. And with the benefit it of- It could still happen, David. It could still happen. <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the benefit of hindsight, what do we know about Rudy Giuliani now that we didn't know then? Well, actually, we don't know anything that we didn't know then. We already knew that he was a complete loon. Uh, something happened to him at some point, and he went from being kind of just a jerk, but not actually a loon, to being a jerk and a loon. And I think he has amply borne that out in the last week or so. Um, I wonder how long it's going to be before Trump fires him. Uh, Obviously, so far in his tenure as one of Trump's lawyers, Rudy has gone on television several times, uh, contradicted the president, contradicted the president's previous lawyers, then then proceeded to contradict himself uh, and acknowledge several times he doesn't actually know what he's talking about, leading to a, a rare presidential Trumpian rebuke and a suggestion that it's usually a good idea to learn before you go on TV, which which wise words from our president. Yeah, uh, when, when, when Trump tells you that facts matter, you've got a problem. Yeah, when Trump says, think before you talk, you know you're really out there. Um, so, so Rudy so far seems to be um, becoming a, a hero of the 
resistance because uh, it does look like he might be getting President Trump even deeper into legal trouble. Well, there's there's some good news, Corey. Oh, absolutely. Um, I I feel like Stormy Daniels' lawyer's uh, Twitter game, where he just keeps saying, thank you, won't you please go on TV more, is what, what everybody who thinks President Trump and the people around him are grifters and a danger to the country, a, a club in which I include myself, um, ought to be cheering for, right? Rudy Giuliani said at least three things that put the president in grave legal jeopardy. And the only strategy they have seems to be saying, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I said three other impossible things before breakfast. Therefore, nothing I say ought to count. Yeah, no, it's he's, he's, a, he's... It's he's an intriguing legal strategy. Well, it is. <laughs> it's sort of like pleading not guilty by virtue of insanity. If you're just that crazy enough, maybe nothing you say will be held against you. Well, it, it is. Do you teach this stuff at Georgetown Law School? <laughs> we, we do, yeah. When you're caught in a lie, just act nuts. Yeah. That's what we tell people. Well, I'd also like the, I also like the strategy where Rudy says, well, I'm, I haven't learned all the facts yet. I'm just dealing with the law right now. What... Right. <laughs> Except I forgot the whole thing about campaign law. Well, what yeah, might constitute it, yeah. a violation thereof. He also seems to have <laughs> a bit about subpoenas. He says, oh, no, we don't need to respond to subpoenas. We can use the powers that presidents have used in the past. Which, you know, it seems to me that presidents have had to comply with subpoena power three times in the past, if we're counting, right, Jefferson? I mean, that one's a little bit more debatable. There, there, there certainly are those who argue that the president uh, doesn't have to, that the president can choose to because he's a nice guy. You know, the president can say, oh, sure, you know, your little subpoena is so cute, I'll comply with it, but that he doesn't have to. Um, but I, I do think that actually the you know, so in some sense, that's not super. Well, what, wasn't for, there that eight to zero United States versus Richard Nixon decision in which they said <laughs> there oh. was? <laughs> but, but I actually think the more the more interesting uh, thing that Rudy said in terms of um, surprising admissions and 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 claims was that uh, President Trump might just, uh, if he was in conversation, being interviewed by Mueller, uh, or uh, he might just take the fifth. Um, <laughs> which is a, astonishing. Wow. The idea that wow. the president of the United States might need to plead the Fifth Amendment, which you only do to avoid incriminating yourself, it's the right to you know, not be forced to incriminate yourself, um, is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, so, Ed, you know, you're like a, like a fancy like a columnist, correspondent, some... You know, you're like responsible for deciphering all of the United States for like all the literate people of the rest of the world. When when you see a display of sort of goggle-eyed Rudy Giuliani acting his way <laughs> through episode after episode, giggling, tittering, talking about Hillary Clinton, talking about not or you know why oh, you can't he can't go after Ivanka Trump. She's a fine woman. What a, I mean. At what point do you know does the rest of the world really come to the conclusions that we've completely lost it here, and it's just time to tune out? 
Well, as you, as you recall, my my original part of the world gave Giuliani an honorary knighthood um, after 9-11. He was, uh, he was then still mayor of New York. Um, Are we supposed to call him Sir Rudy now or something? Uh, indeed. I think, I think that's what sent him over the edge. Yeah, I think yeah. that probably went to his head and, and it's been downhill ever since. Um, uh, look, deciphering... Uh, Giuliani's sort of bizarre, multi-channel, uh, simultaneous rantings, um, and realizing that the only audience he's he's targeting is the, is Donald Trump himself, um, is 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 a pointless exercise, blow by blow. Unless I was writing some some sort of comic sketch um, uh, for FT readers, uh, I think that keeping keeping your eye on the ball, uh, which Rosa is doing incidentally, I occasionally hear um, snatches of of a softball game in the background. Um, it, it, keeping your eye on the ball, which is that Ty Cobb. Um, has resigned, is no longer Trump's lawyer. And Ty Cobb was the guy saying, look, you've got to cooperate with Mueller. Um, you, need to, you need to answer questions. And he was the one who helped negotiate Mueller's um, uh, sharing of, of the 49 questions in advance that he was going to ask the president. The fact that Ty Cobb is no longer in the frame, and that therefore, uh, in Giuliani's words, there isn't you know, a single lawyer in the land who would advise Trump to testify, uh, to, to, to um, uh, be interrogated. By Mueller, I think that's you know that's the big picture here, and whether it's uh, Trump refusing a subpoena, and this going up to the Supreme Court, or indeed Trump uh, declaring guilt essentially by pleading the fifth, the, these are the things people want to follow. It isn't you know uh, at the end of the day a comic, a comic tale. This one, it's a deadly serious, a deadly serious one, and and the rest of the world is as aware of that as we are here inside the Beltway. Well, before I get to to Rosa to ask the outcome or the progress on the softball game she's watching with her daughter, I want to turn to you, Corey, and ask you if you thought it was adorable that Ed was talking about baseball, and then he switched to talking about the lawyer, Ty Cobb, and he didn't to be made. I, too, thought that was a tell that he had been told Rosa was at a softball game, because otherwise he would have said something about, you know, the sportsmanship of Ty Cobb sliding spikes up into second base routinely. <laughs> Yeah, he, he thinks he hit a home run, but, you know, he, he was born on second base. Oh, well, I do want to let you know that the, the game is about to start. My daughter's heart is broken because she did just come up to me while I was I had our, our podcast recording was muted to ask me if I could run over to the ice cream truck, which just appeared, and get her some ice cream, which tells you something about her attitude towards the the rivers of the softball game. Um, but I pointed out I pointed out that I was very busy recording a Deep State podcast and I couldn't go near the ice cream truck because it was making all kinds of noisy music. So now she's out of luck because it drove away. <laughs> oh my God, it's so mean. It's complicated. It's very complicated. It's character building. It was so mean. Your little daughter wanted an I know. Ice well, but she's, I mean, I think she's supposed to be playing softball or something. Keep her so I don't know how she's ball. supposed to be eating ice cream while she plays softball. Man, here, is, here. She, is she playing or is she on the bench? Well, at the moment, they seem to be doing some kind of mystical team huddle together. It's about to start. I'll keep you guys updated. I just love the idea of you sitting there watching a softball game, which sounds to me like... <laughs> 
you know, not your thing. Uh, actually, you're wrong about that, David. Until the age of nine, my my greatest ambition in life was to be a pitcher for the New York Yankees. I think I may have mentioned this even on a prior episode. I had a you Yankee did indeed book. because my admiration for you. Yes, I had a Yankee scrapbook. I had a baseball card collection. So so no, I I'm I'm actually very indestructible, but not I will say not quite as indestructible. I will lower my voice here in in, in a conspiratorial tone. As one of the dads who goes to every game and writes these uh, detailed emails afterwards that have a level of details if he were reporting on these games for the sports pages of the New York Times. Um, so I'll, I could just <laughs> hand him the phone every now and then and he can actually give you the, the blow by blow. <laughs> I sort of suspect he doesn't have enough to do um, in life, but I don't want to I don't want to hurt his feelings by telling him that. So shh. <laughs> yeah, does, does he listen to Deep State Radio? Because um, you, you God, could have a falling not. out now. I know. I know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Good what point. Good does? point. What if he what does? What if he does? Then it's that's all big, over. That's a big issue. But but Corey, you know, one of the things that's struck me was earlier um, uh, on, on the last podcast was that when I saw that the president was announcing his decision, which has already taken place on the Iran deal, um, my first reaction was not, what's the decision going to be? Because I kind of knew. Uh, my first reaction was, what's he trying to distract from? You know, what's he trying to counter program? Because he, he could have waited till Saturday. You know, do what, what does he think is coming? And that says something a little bit about how this presidency is conducting itself these days. You know, when the president goes silent for a couple of days or he gets into a Twitter storm or some of this other stuff, we all immediately go, um, oh, my God, Mueller is going to do something. Something, another shoe is about to drop um, because that's been the pattern in the past. And I'm wondering what kind of consequence that has, you know, you think internationally. Uh uh, so I am not sure that the driver, that the president is shrewd and calculating. It strikes me as equally plausible that, you know, three days in which he hasn't been the, the breathless focus of everybody's exasperation and, and he's bored and wants attention. So um, remember the opening of Wuthering Heights where Kathy is standing in the kitchen being scolded by all of the servants and her parents simultaneously, and and she's delighted. That's basically President Trump's personality, I think. Right? He's just so <laughs> I've never desperate. yet heard a comparison of President Trump's to uh, <laughs> Kathy and Wuthering Heights. So. It's really, it's really good. And honestly, I could see a whole new sort of fan art. Oh like, my God! I do not need that. Absolutely. No, no, of Corey in Wuthering Heights, you know, <laughs> on Moors calling for, you know, Heathcliff or whatever. So, so who is Heathcliff? Uh, no, I like, I like happy endings. But I want to know who is, if, if Trump is Kathy, who's Heathcliff? <laughs> well, that would go to Mueller, would it not? Right, a bad relationship. <laughs> well, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, Heathcliff is a bully. Are we going to concede that here? I'm just trying to remember the bit in the Kate Bush video where this all happens. Oh, you know, very I, nice. I, I got to tell you, Ed, I, I thought of the Kate Bush video too, but then I vaguely <laughs> remember there was a book before that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, so book I will. Spin-off. I will begrudgingly return to David's question, which is international reaction to this. 
one of the things I have noticed living now three months in London is um, how carefully people pay attention to American domestic politics. Uh, friends, adversaries, everybody watches carefully what ridiculousness or honorableness we are up to. And so it really does matter, David. It, it's about, um, you know, America's primacy has been tolerably inexpensive, largely because most everybody wants us to succeed. They, they think that we believe in something bigger than ourselves and therefore give us the benefit of the doubt when we do things clumsily or wrong. And President Trump is burning through that presumption of goodwill really fast. Um, I, I was, for the last couple of days, uh, in a dialogue with Indians, Pakistanis, and Afghans about their regional, um, regional security challenges. And it was mortifying that, you know, they're all up to scale and up to speed on every aspect of constitutional law and what it means in the United States. And that makes me sad for our country because it means everything we're going to try and do in the world gets more expensive. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Ed, I'm just interested in how you react to Corey's point about- I trust you meant that sardonic no kidding as a compliment, David. It was a strong statement of agreement. Um, but, but Ed, I, I was just wondering, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, this point that Corey makes about how closely people are watching this. And I'm wondering if you're finding that to be the case. Oh, I'm definitely finding that to, to, to be the case. Um, I, I um, you know, you can pick any part of the, the world um, uh, and go through the permutations of how they filter what's happening to American democracy in particular and Western democracy in general. Um, but I, I think quite often of a country I don't know as well as I, I know, say, India or parts of Europe, which is China, that the chilling effect on those within China who used to argue and be permitted, um, given more um, leeway to argue, for gradual democratization have basically been shut up. Now, part of the reason that they've been shut up is because Xi Jinping is a more authoritarian leader and he has more sophisticated technical um, means of silencing um, online dissent than, than maybe his predecessors had. But, but, but a bigger part of the reason um, is that their legs have been cut from under them. The argument that they've always made is that generally in democracies, you can trust the people to make wise choices. Uh, and the election of Trump has dealt a severe blow, as indeed um, has his subsequent behavior and disregard for the constitutional norms of American democracy, has dealt a severe blow to the pro-democracy argument um, in China and other, and other non-democratic countries. And I think, you know, they are paying attention and, and it is causing them great difficulties. Well, let me give you an anecdote, because I was in China for a couple of weeks going back in a couple of weeks, but I, I was just there, you know, 10 days ago. And um, I was talking to a very for former senior U.S. official who happened to be there at the same time. And this person said that they were in a conversation um, with a senior Chinese official um, 
who said something kind of interesting and apropos of this, which was that um, uh, Xi Jinping should send Donald Trump a thank you note. Because when Xi Jinping was thinking about or raising the issue of sort of eliminating term limits and serving longer, there was something of a debate going on about this in China. Uh, and then when Trump started to rattle the saber in terms of trade war, uh, it distracted everybody out of concern for what Trump might do. Uh, and it enabled Xi Jinping to move forward with his plan with greater ease. Um, so that's a, it's another potential consequence of all. Uh, well, you know, there was a, it was a, it was a, it was a. That, isn't it great to be ruining democracy for the entire world? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, you know, I mean, it was a very credible person, a former cabinet member, um, and uh, and it, you know, it was a kind of an interesting implication to that discussion. Um, but but having said that, you know, democracy here seems to be a bit under siege. Um, and you sort of have to wonder what the next sort of phases in this game are going to be. Uh, Trump has been talking uh, and tweeting about, you know, he's defending himself. There's no obstruction of justice, et cetera, et cetera. It's time to call quits on this. But one thing, Rosa, that I, I sort of see as an area where he may gain some traction is the argument that if the Mueller investigation continues on toward the election and he makes certain kinds of announcements prior to the election, that those announcements are going to be perceived as being political um, and that, you know, he's going to try and use this as, you know, a reason to, you know, perhaps the, have somebody on the Hill or others try to shut the investigation down. But it does seem like we're going to come to a point of tension between the Mueller investigation and the political process in the U.S. Yeah, I, I mean, we're already at a point of tension. Um, I, you know, I think that the attacks we've seen coming from both the president himself and from those close to him and from many in Congress on the integrity of the special counsel process uh, have made that very clear already. Um, you know, I, I mean, there, there's no way around this, right? I mean, in our tradition, the the prosecutorial and investigatory processes, even though even when they are part of the executive branch, are are by tradition uh, supposed to be exempt from political pressures. And and certainly, I think even Bill Clinton, when he was the subject of uh, Ken Starr's investigation, uh, although plenty of Clinton supporters made very critical comments about the scope and nature of the Starr investigation, Clinton himself stayed pretty quiet about it. Uh, and, you know, Trump Trump has clearly one of the many norms he's violated is, is weighing in directly to, you know, attack the character, the integrity of uh, the investigatory process and every individual involved in it and suggest that they're doing it solely for political reasons. So, so yeah, of course, that is going to continue. There's, there's, there's likely to be more pressure coming from Trump and, and certain Republicans in Congress to try to shut down the Miller investigation. Uh, it remains to be seen whether there will be any Republicans with sufficient backbone to really stand up to that um, if it comes right down to it. Um, it also, obviously, at the end of the day, that you know, the way our constitutional process is set up, uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be the the voters who make a decision about how they feel about it. And you know, if Trump if Trump does fire Mueller or find some other way to shut this down or block it prior to the midterms, 
I think no question about it, we will see a reaction to that in how people choose to vote in the midterms. Uh, and that will be the, the ultimate judgment. Well, there will be that. Let me turn to you, Corey, with a different dimension of this that takes us to another issue we talk about on a fairly regular basis here. Um, a few days ago, Rudy Giuliani asserted that, uh, and the president later did, but asserted that the North Koreans were going to be releasing um, some uh, three Americans that they've been holding. Uh, and, you know, at the time, a bunch of people said, how does he know? He doesn't have a clearance. Why is he involved in this issue? Why is he making these announcements? And um, as at the beginning of this week, it, the State Department felt compelled to say, Rudy Giuliani does not speak for the administration on these things, which is a kind of remarkable, you know, turn of events that the State <laughs> Department is repudiating one of the president's chief spokespeople two weeks into the job. Um, and I, I was just wondering, you know, what, do you, what your thoughts are on this kind of haphazard uh, conduct of foreign policy? I think it's disgraceful and injurious to the families and loved ones of people who are prisoners in North Korea to toy with their emotions that way. I, I think it's worse than political malfeasance, which Giuliani appears to be practicing on a large scale right now. It, it's actually cruel. It's actually genuinely unkind for families that are desperately anxious about their loved one's treatment in captivity in North Korea. It, it shouldn't be done, not just for policy reasons, for reasons of human kindness and basic human decency. And that's a boundary this administration and the people close to it skate past without batting an eye. So it's bad foreign policy. It's even worse human beingness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they, these guys are really good at bad human beingness. Uh, in fact, that seems to be their their specialty. And one of the other developments, though, in this other ongoing saga with North Korea, which um, couldn't help but notice and 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 also saw as a consequence of, you know, um, shoddy foreign policy is that, you know, Trump started going into this whole, I should win the Nobel Prize, having his surrogate say should win the Nobel Prize, and saying this was all about Trump, which did not sit well with Kim Jong-un, who is known to have a bit of an ego of his own, who has now begun to make all sorts of pronouncements saying, what we are doing here has nothing to do with what Trump did. Um, and it suggests, you know, that's just a self-inflicted wound. You know, Trump didn't have to do a victory dance. No, he didn't. Uh, I should note that I see my uh, my beloved compatriot um, Boris Johnson saying, adding his voice to Moon Jae-in's um, call for Trump <laughs> to win a Nobel Prize, you know, which kills you any so proud. I'm deeply proud. I'm standing next to a fluttering Union Jack as as we speak. Um, the uh, he actually the, has one in his office, and there's a little fan that keeps it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, I'm 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 not even going to deny that because it's it's so clearly untrue. Um, but the um, uh, the the original impulse of Moon Jae-in to say, look, if if he 
continues down this path, Trump will deserve a Nobel Prize. Well, it's very clever. He obviously wants to incentivize Trump to continue to respond to Kim Jong-un and enable um, this sunshine policy to come to fruition. Uh, so I don't blame the South Koreans for um, for dangling that prospect. Trump, you know, does respond to flattery and the more sort of narcissistic sort of end of flattery, the better. Um, that, that said, the way that Trump has picked on this and run with it and rallies, you know, now chant no bell, no bell when Trump addresses crowds. It happened a couple of times last week. You know, could could uh, could go too far, and it could upset that other supreme ego, as you point out, that's involved here, um, whom Trump has yet to meet, or I doubt pre-agree anything before they meet um, they meet together in a few weeks, namely Kim Jong Un. So uh, you know, you've got to you've got to flatter Trump. You, you, you're not going to get in the door unless you do, but you've got to be careful the extent to. To, to, to which you do, that, that somebody ought to draw up a, you know, a, a guide to Trump etiquette. And um, I would recommend Boris Johnson be the first to read it. But, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems, seems incredibly unlikely um, uh, because I, I don't think that's a strong suit of his under any circumstances. But but Rosa, one of the things that's come up in the debate here in the United States, and I just sort of like to wrap up with a little bit of a discussion about this, because I think it's a serious issue that we begin to shrug off, is that at some point in the past week or so, the Washington Post count of the number of the lies of the president, lies told by the president, exceeded 3,000. Corey, you know, Trump enters the 3,000 hit club. Uh, at roughly the same time as Albert Pujol. Pujol. I was going to say he's the Pujols of lying. Yeah, exactly. And I, I sort of knew, sort of knew you would go there, even though he hasn't been on the Cardinals for a while. Um, but you know, this administration lies about everything, um, and we sort of are inured to that. Uh, and yet, you can't actually conduct. A democracy, because you can't judge the leaders if the leaders don't tell the truth to their bosses, who are the people. Um, and and there have been there was a good piece by Dan Balls about this in the Washington Post, and 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 there has begun to be a bit of a debate about this, that this is not just a con man's con, or you know marketing BS from a marketer, but it's actually something that's deeply corrosive to the U.S. democracy, and I, you know, I think also deeply corrosive to U.S. foreign policy and standing in the world, because nobody knows whether what Trump is saying is is true. And so, Rose, I was just wondering what your take. <laughs> Well, David, you're absolutely right. Um, although I would I would question this whole business about the 3,000 lies, because, of course, we have to decide what unit of mistruth constitutes a full lie. Right. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, so really, depending on how you want to count, it could be it could be many thousands more, it could be a few hundred less. Um, but 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 no, I, I think, again, on some level, the next few elections are going to tell us whether American democracy is doomed. Are we all such a bunch of suckers that we 
either can't tell the difference between lies and truth, or we just fundamentally have decided that we don't care and we're happy to have a showman and we are, we're, we're content to be lied to, you know, or not, um, you know, and is it a meaning? I mean, this is the, this is the inherent tragedy of democracy, right? Uh, the people get the government they deserve. Um, and it may turn out that the government we deserve is a pretty crappy one. Well, it's also, you know, I think it's interesting because I think the issue, the issue of political leaders telling the truth, um, you know, as a political issue, uh, you know, I mean, we did have, you know, honest Abe at one point, uh, as I saw all of this, I thought of you, Corey, because we have just passed, um, the anniversary of the end of the war in Europe. And we saw a, uh, you know, Michael Bischloss who sends out emails on Twitter or sends out tweets that sort of recount moments from history, tweeted out a copy of the uh, telegram that Eisenhower sent back to the United States on the evening, actually the early morning when World War II concluded. One sentence long mission uh, you know, of the Allied forces in Europe has been accomplished. And I thought back to a time when it was seen to be leaderly to measure your words, uh, consider that your words had meaning, uh, say only what you meant. It's not to say politicians never lied in the past. Of course they did. But, but, but leaderly and distinguished behavior seemed to mean something different back then. And I thought, Corey, you might have a view. Indeed. I wholeheartedly agree with your view, David. I saw the Eisenhower telegram and had the exact same reaction. I was so homesick for a little modesty and a little propriety um, amongst our leaders, especially in our conduct with the rest of the world, because it is unbecoming uh, not just what President Trump is doing, but the general symbol clanging we're the indispensable nation stuff. And, and that was even Madeleine Albright. She was by no means the worst offender. Um, all of that stuff just makes what we try and do in the world harder. And there's a, there's a corrosive, there's a corrosion at the core of the country if we need to do that. Um, and we're better than that. We don't need to do that. And so we sh shouldn't do it. And I, I noticed that earlier in the week, you spoke at an event um, on the U.S.-German relationship, which obviously has some echoes with what we we're just talking about here. And I can only think that the damage to America's standing in the world and the damage to American alliances is not just Trump's bad relations with people or entering trade wars or pulling out of deals. Um, but that there is another kind of more pernicious damage that comes from the erosion of America's credibility and the inability to know what we will do, uh, whether we will live up to our word, whether we are telling the truth, um, and, and these kind of things. And I think that's taken a particular toll on the U.S.-German relationship. And I was just wondering whether you've given that any thought. Oh, I think it's a very good question. And I would, you know, echo um, Corey's, um, you know, very poignant words about the, the regret for what it, what's been lost, or at least what Trump 
Trump is squandering. And also the concern Rosa expressed that we get the democracies we deserve, that there has been some kind of a, a cultural shift in the sort of at the Tocquevillian level of American democracy um, to which Trump provides some kind of an answer. And, and I hope that's wrong. Um, uh, it's certainly true that the Germans, amongst others, you know, look at a president who, uh, just to pick two visual examples amongst hundreds, in one case last year at a summit um, of European leaders, shoved the president of Montenegro out of the way, just pushed him physically out of the way so that he could jaw-juttingly, you know, appear in front of him in the photograph. That, I think, was a symbol that caught many people's, um, um, uh, that, that, that symbolized things for people. Sorry, but that Rosa. That was quite a moment. <laughs> that, was, that was quite a moment. And then the other was something you mentioned on our previous uh, podcast, David, is that the, the one of the very few times that this president actually has to read from notes is when he's complimenting his wife in his introduction to her 15 minutes uh, in the sun. Um, what, kind of a, what kind of a human being is Donald Trump? And uh, we're all watching with, with fascination um, uh, him reveal himself to be exactly what we always suspected, which is a tawdry, as J.K. Rowling said, a little, little man after that Montenegrin incident occurred. And, uh, you know, obviously the damage is incalculable. Uh, and um, I, I don't know what else to add to what Corey and, and Rosa have said. I agree with them uh, very, very strongly. Well, you know, I think, you know, one of the themes that was at the Melania Trump event was uh, the theme of her, the chosen theme of her campaign for children, which is, be best. And quite apart from the fact that that's a bit of a weird theme to send out to children because being best could be misinterpreted easily by them as, as you know, sort of winning at, a, at any cost. I think the implication was to be your best self, to be the best you can be. Um, uh, and in the post-irony age, of course, um, this is, uh, a, you know, a kind of uh, stark and uh, you know unsettling commentary on an administration that never seems to seek to be best or is led by someone who never seeks to be his best self. Um, we want to be great, not good. Right. Well, exactly. And good doesn't really matter. And 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 I think it's it it is a brewing tragedy um because it is not just that Trump lies it is that so many people in uh the american people um seem to think that uh truth is relative uh the journalistic profession has played to this by the way by seeming to argue that their job is to tell both sides to be fair and of course that's not the job the job is to report facts um, to report objective truth, um, and that if one side is offering lies, there is no obligation to give them a platform to share those lies. Um, and when you do give them that platform, you create the illusion that the lie is the equivalent of truth uh, or fact, um, and that undercuts uh, everything that's essential to making democracy work. Uh, I'm left with one question at the end of this discussion, uh, and that is, Rosa, how's your daughter's softball game going? 
you know my daughter's team is winning. They're awesome. Wow. Are you are you are you really paying attention? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, of course, I'm primarily focused on on your words, David, as as uh, is always the case. Yes, as right, <laughs> as is always as is always the case. Well, <laughs> well um, good luck to your daughter, Rosa. Um, and good luck to America, everybody. Um, and thank you, Corey. And thank you, Ed. And thank you, Rosa. And thank you, Deep State Nerds. And keep those cards and letters coming. And we'll be back with you real soon. Thanks a lot. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.